in Mark, Mark chapter 4. And I'm going to preach today the second half of um, what I started last week. Um, we're looking at the parable of the sower. What I would like to emphasize today, and I've called this message the parable of the soils. I'd like to emphasize something slightly different today, and that's why I've called it the parable of the soils. And uh, I'd like to try and do two things. First of all, to focus on verse 14 and 15, which talks about how the devil robs the word from us. And I'd like to look at ways that the devil tries to rob the word from us. But at the same time, I want to encourage you with the end of the parable, which I think is the most glorious part of this parable, which says, for those that hear the word and persevere in the word, there's a harvest 30, 60, and 100 times. All right? So I don't want to just emphasize on the thing of, well, the devil comes to rob the word. I want us to be wise about that. But at the same time, I want to encourage you with the fact that there's a harvest for you. A harvest 36 and 100 folds if the word comes and takes root in our hearts. All right? And God does that in amazing ways, in various ways. So I'm just going to read the, 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 the portion again, and we're going to really emphasize verse 10 through to verse 20. It says, verse 1, Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large, very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them with many things and parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain." And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they might indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, and they endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution comes on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those that hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Amen. So, Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray this morning that it would take root in our hearts. And I pray for our hearts that there would be good soil in our hearts this morning as we hear that we might be fruitful for you. In Jesus' name. 
So last week, I just want to recap briefly for those that you weren't here last week. Um, I talked about parables in general last week, and I said a couple of things. I said, um, first of all, Jesus was trying to get people's attention. That's why he taught in parables. Uh, he was outside the synagogue. He was in an informal setting in the lakeside, and so he tried to get people's attention by telling them these stories, these parables. Uh, second, I said it was a method that the crowds were used to because it was a common method that rabbis used. And we looked at the Old Testament, the story of Uriah and how Nathan rebuked David through a parable, a story. And thirdly, I said it was a way also that Jesus could make abstract ideas concrete. And he was preaching to simple people. And I said, all of us hear more in pictures than we do in abstract concepts. And I try to encourage you with that as well. And lastly, uh, I said that Jesus taught in parables to help his disciples think for themselves. And our relationship with Jesus is one where we need to take ownership for our own uh, thinking, understanding, our own hearts. We have an individual faith in the sense that we live our lives before God. We live before the audience of one. And we are responsible for our own thinking and our own hearts. And Jesus wants us to think for ourselves and to engage with him and to hear what God has for us. And I try to encourage you with that as well. And then I said in the body of my message that parables always point us towards the kingdom. And Jesus had come preaching, saying, the kingdom is here, it's at hand. And he demonstrated the kingdom through his life. And people were healed, delivered, and set free. And uh, we looked at that, that the, the parables are always pointing to us towards the kingdom of God that is coming. And it is here in the person of Christ. And I said, secondly, that parable, these parables invite us to experience the kingdom of God by faith. Remember that? And that's why we looked at that word mysterion. Why does Jesus use this thing of the secret of the kingdom? What is the secret of the kingdom? And I tried to have a look at that with you as well. And I said this, once you understand the secret, everything else makes sense. Once you get Jesus, everything else makes sense. He is the secret of the kingdom. He is the mysterion of the kingdom. And we had a look at that. And uh, I said... Thirdly, the parables show the difference between the lost and the saved. And that's why we had a look at that uh, puzzling verse out of Isaiah chapter 6, where Jesus quotes Isaiah and says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, we looked at that in particular and why Jesus used that. And fourth, I said that the parables point us towards the sovereign work of God in our lives, that God is sovereign. And we, it's not a comfortable thing for us to, um, to, to understand and grasp, but there is a reality it's a mystery of the gospel that the gospel works differently in people's hearts. It seems to work amazingly in some people's hearts and in other people's hearts. It doesn't seem to generate the same harvest. And that's exactly what the, uh, this parable the, uh, unpacks for us. And as uncomfortable as that is for us, we have to still point people always to the saving power of Jesus by the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit do the work in people's hearts. And that's what we do. In this story... A number of things are constant. The sower is constant. The seed is the same. The only thing that is the differential is the soil. That's the only thing that changes. And so we're going to look at the, so the soil this morning because I said to you, and I concluded last week to say that some hardly hear the effective message, the powerful message of Jesus' power to save. Some do hear. They are enthusiastic, but only for a short time. And it's quickly robbed of them. And others are robbed by the cares of this world and a desire for prosperity, riches, and position rob them of the truth of the saving power of Jesus. And that brings me really to what I'd like to focus on today. 
And that's why I've called it this parable of the soils, looking at the different kinds of soils. And uh, once again, I want to thank people that have helped me in my own studies, my own thinking, meditation, and prayer this week. Always Michael Eaton, and also J.C. Ryle, William Barclay, William Lane, and for this message in particular, John Piper has been very helpful as I've meditated and thought about these things this week. So I want to start by pointing you to a beautiful scripture in 1 John chapter 3, which says this, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices, practices righteousness is righteous, as he, God, Jesus, is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, a lifestyle of sinning, an ongoing pattern of, of sinning, is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I love that. The reason that Jesus came was to destroy the work of the devil, of the evil one. Now, I want to say this as a foundation of what I want to share this morning. I in no way want to elevate the devil. I want to elevate the gospel. I want to elevate the saving power of Jesus. I want to major on that. What he's done in my own life, in my family's life, in the life of this church, is to bring us to an understanding of the amazing grace of his gospel. We want to celebrate that all the time. I don't want to give Satan any more time. I want to give him as little time as possible. All right? But the truth is that this portion says that part of Satan's a ploy for our lives is that he comes to rob the word from us. He's, he's, he's focused on robbing the word out of your heart, even as I preached this morning. He doesn't want you to hear what God has to say to you. And so my conviction is this, that if we are, if we are aware of Satan's most common ways of trying to rob the word from us and distract us from the word of God, we will more fully appreciate the truth that Jesus came into the world to destroy the work of the devil. And there are some works that Jesus wants to be destroyed in our lives, and he wants to be elevated, and his spirit wants to increasingly um, set us free. And the, the, the devil here, in, the, in, this, in this portion, Jesus shows us three ways that the devil tries to rob the word from us, all right? He, Satan hates the word of God. Uh, he hates the word getting into your heart. He hates the word bringing liberty to you. He hates the freedom that the word brings to you. He hates the fact that when you understand the gospel, you can forgive people and you are set free on the inside and you can live your life free for the rest of your life no matter what anyone does to you. The Satan hates that. He wants to keep you in a prison. He wants to keep you bound up, hateful, arrogant, unloving. He wants to keep you there, a prisoner of your own, under your own hat. And Jesus wants to set you free. That's what, he's, that's what he wants to do. And so I want to look at the ways that um, Satan tries to t rob the word from us. And I believe there are ways we can counterattack that. And I believe this. If we cultivate as a church, if we cultivate some good habits in hearing the word of God and determining to resist the devil robbing the word from us, God will do incredible things with us. He will but it's going to take some discipline. It's going to take us becoming disciples of Jesus. And that's not always, that's the hard part. <laughs> All right. But it's possible. And I'm going to, hopefully, um, you're going to be encouraged this morning. So I want to say this. 
What is at stake when the devil robs the word from us? Why does it matter if the devil robs the word from us? Well, I want to point you to the tagline of Forest Town Church. Forest Town Church, rooted in Christ, planted in family, fruitful in life. The first thing that is at stake if the devil robs the word from us is fruitfulness. We are called, you and I are called to be fruitful in our lives, in every area of our lives. Through our lives, we are called to bear fruit. And if the word does, is not able to take root in our hearts, we cannot bear any fruit for God. That's what verse 20 says. Those that were sown along the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Fruit is important. Fruit is vital. God wants you and I to be fruitful. And the promise of this parable is those that persevere in the word, and the word takes root in them, there's fruitfulness 30, 60, and 100 fold. And I believe the fruit that, that this parable is pointing us to is what Paul describes and calls the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, perseverance, long-suffering. That's the kind of fruit that God wants to generate in our hearts as the word takes root. That we are incredibly fruitful. That no matter what comes against you, how much you feel discouraged, opposed, you are, are always patient, joyful, buoyant, because the Spirit of God has set you free on the inside. And I am spraying all over the place this morning. I'm sorry about that. And Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. That means wash them. That means change them. That means make them more like Jesus. The Word of God is the means, the method that God uses to sanctify us, to wash us, to make us more like His Son, as the Spirit works in us, to make us fruitful. And so if we are aware that we need to be more loving and kinder and more forgiving, our prayer should be, Jesus, let your word engage in my heart, change my heart from the inside, and so that the way that I live is a more fruitful, loving, patient, kind person. And I'm not judging anyone. I'm just saying this as I say it of myself. If I'm not more patient than I was last year, if I'm not more joyful, then I've stopped allowing the Holy Spirit to work in me. I want to encourage you. This is how we become Christ-like. This is how we become holy. And if the devil can, can undermine the word in our heart and rob the word from us, then he is pleased. And so I want to encourage you this morning. The first thing that's at stake is our fruitfulness. The second thing that is at stake in our lives is discipleship. We are not just called to be believers. We are called to be disciples of Jesus. Jesus said, go into all the world and make us dis make disciples of all nations. There's a, we cannot get away from this fact. If there's a persistent fruitlessness in uh, our lives, then I, I want to say, how can we call ourselves disciples of Jesus? Jesus said this in, in Luke 6, 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. I think over the years of leading a church, I've heard people say all sorts of stuff about their theology, about how church should be, and uh, how preachers should be, and what kind of gospel we should preach. I've heard everything, I think. I've been, I've been a Christian 38 years now. I want to say this. Over a period of time, look at the person's life and see the fruit. If there's no good fruit, just ignore. And I, I say this. 
I read the story this week, Charles Spurgeon, who was a gospel preacher, who was a man who was known as the Prince of Preachers here in, the, in, in London in the, the 1900s. Uh, he, uh, sorry, the 1800s. He, di- he died in 1892. Mark Deaver re- re- brings the story of Spurgeon walking through London one night. And uh, this drunk calls out to him and says, Mr. Spurgeon, don't you recognize me? I'm one of your converts. And Spurgeon turns to him and he says, you might be one of my converts, but you are not a convert of Jesus. He makes a profound and simple point. We can say all we like. We can say we've prayed the prayer. We can do all the stuff that we are called to do as churches, uh, churches call people to do. But this is the test. The test is what fruit is there? Fruit does not make the tree. Fruit does not give the life. Jesus is the root. Jesus is the one we are grafted into. He gives the life. He gives joy. He gives all those things. But this is true. If there's no fruit, if there's no sign of any fruit, then what is the inward reality of what is supposed to have happened? That's what Spurgeon is saying. saying, you might have prayed the prayer, my friend, but actually, are you a convert of Christ? Is there some fruitfulness in your life that can be seen and demonstrated? The fruit doesn't save us. We don't work hard to get the fruit. But if there is a real root of Jesus in our lives, fruit automatically comes out. It must. And this is what it means to become a disciple. Therefore, fruitfulness is at stake. And secondly, discipleship is at stake if the, if, if the, the word is robbed from us. And Jesus says, these are Jesus' words, not mine. John 8, 31, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciple. So, if the word is taken away, and we allow the word to be robbed from us, we cannot become, or continue to become, followers of Jesus. And then thirdly, the third thing that is at stake is our inheritance, and ultimately salvation. And this is what I mean. This is the most terrible consequence of having the word robbed from us. Jesus says, John 15, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. If you do not abide in me, he casts forth a branch and it withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. That's a very difficult saying. What is Jesus saying there? Well, I don't believe it's saying that we lose our salvation. What I believe it is saying is that we, we, don't, we don't enjoy our, the fullness of what God wants to do in our lives. We become ineffectual, and so he cuts off that part. And we don't, we don't ever get the full inheritance of what God has for us. Here on earth, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our relationships, and also eternally in heaven one day, we will miss out on the fullness of what God has for us. And so it's quite logical. If Satan can rob the word from us, and it stops taking root in our heart, we cannot be saved, we cannot bear fruit, we cannot be disciples, we miss out on inheritance here on earth, and ultimately we miss out on the fullness of what God has for us in eternity. So it matters very much that the Word is not robbed from us in our hearts and in our lives. And so what are, what are the, the, the strategies that the devil tries to use to take away the Word from us? Well, Jesus shows us here, and he uses three particular kinds of soil to describe three methods that the devil uses. Mark, 14 is, uh, Mark 4, verse 14, is, is the only place that Satan is referred to where Jesus simply says, along the path where the word is sown, 
those that hear Satan immediately comes and takes the word away which is sown in them. So he uses this phrase along the path to describe a particular kind of soil. But there are also two other kinds of soil in which the word bears no fruit. And if you look at the portion, it simply says the rocky ground, and it simply says the thorny ground. And Jesus doesn't mention Satan in connection with those. But we know from other teachings in the Scripture, in the New Testament, that Satan is very much at work in those kind of soils to nullify God's Word and to make us fruitless hearers. And so there are at least three strategies that I want to put to you this morning that uh, the devil uses to rob the Word away from us. And uh, I'm sure you can think of more. All right? And the first is, the most obvious, is immediately... (laughs) Satan, Satan tries to rob the word immediately. And I want to say there are three things that I think the way that he does that. It says in verse 15, he comes to rob it immediately. Even as I preached this morning, he wants to rob it immediately from you. Immediately, straight away. Before it can have any kind of impact, sympathetic response in your heart, he wants to rob it from you. And he does it in three ways. The first is inattention. In attention. What do I mean? He will do all that he can to get you to stop giving serious attention to the Word of God on a Sunday morning or whenever it is that you go to church or listen to a podcast or whatever. So, I say this as someone who stayed out last night until quite late. Satan will try and convince you on Saturday night that what you are doing on Saturday night at 10.30 is far more important and it's going to give you more rest than what you would do here at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. He will do everything to convince you that and to distract you from that reality. He might even right now, as I'm preaching, be distracting you as I'm preaching. He might be putting into your mind right now something of the work that you need to do this week that lies ahead of you. Or something that you want to paste on, uh, post on Facebook when you get home. A picture that just pops into your mind of a holiday that you had and uh, you're kind of distracted right now. You might at this very moment be thinking about the lunch that you're preparing when you're going to serve your friends. When you get, might, right now you might be thinking about the roast in the oven, even as I'm preaching now. The devil will do anything to get you, distract you from hearing what the preacher is saying. He wants to get you the words that I'm saying to go in one ear, whoever preaches one ear, to go in and get out the other as fast as possible without having any time to rest in between. That's what he wants to get you to do. He'll do anything to distract you. That's his game. Inattention is his game. I want to encourage you. Don't let him win that battle, all right? Second, he uses ill will. What do I mean by ill will? Well, simply the feeling that sometimes you get when you can hear a preacher preaching. Sometimes I've experienced it in my life. You get a little bit irritated. You feel a little bit angry. You kind of get distracted by his style, the way he says things, or the way she says things, or their language, or whatever it is, or simply the truth of the gospel offends your worldview and it makes you angry. <laughs> We've had some very interesting conversations with our boys. Both of them are, are bright boys and they like to talk about stuff and they hear at school all sorts of stuff in terms of science and how things work and evolution and how the universe works. And, and we have had to fight with our boys. And I don't mean fight with them. I mean fight in terms of their worldview. What is being put into them? And I encourage you that you would do the same with your children. Yeah? 
Because sometimes our worldview, when you've been, comes against the gospel, and the gospel and our worldview can do that. And the gospel is always true. And I'm not calling, saying we must be unthinking. I'm not saying that at all. But when we feel that sense of anger, that sense of, oh, this is grating, don't, don't harden your heart at that moment. Keep your heart open. What did Paul say? Paul said this, the gospel is foolishness to those that are perishing. (laughs) And so Satan will do all that he can to maintain our sense of worldly value so that the value of Christ, the value of his death, that we see that as nothing, worth nothing. And I believe this, that in the world, Satan gives people such a high estimation of who they are. They are so full of themselves that the evangelical message, the gospel message of brokenness before the cross is both disgusting to them and threatening to them. That's the world that we live in. And so the word can get no foothold in our lives because we feel this aversion. And thirdly, Satan uses ignorance to rob the word immediately. He can so do something in our brain so thoroughly that the, actually the capacity to grasp what is being said is even lost. And that's why I had to look at the, 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 this, the thing of the parable showing the difference between the lost and the saved last week. Again, let me quote Paul to you. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds and the minds of unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel to the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. It's exactly what Paul is saying. Some have been so blinded, so robbed, that they cannot even see. And so this sense of the glory of God, something what we experienced this morning in the worship, the glory of God, even in those times, Satan blinds the eyes of people, so the wonder of what the glory of God is and what the glory of God is doing, they cannot even see it. They cannot even perceive it, and they're in the middle of it. That's how the devil robs the word from us and robs the word from our hearts. So the first way that Satan robs the word is immediately. <laughs> and I want to encourage you to fight that with all of your hearts. But he doesn't give up there either, because there are two other ways that Satan will kind of try and carry on uh, to get the word out of our hearts. And Jesus says, talks about the rocky, shallow ground. And so if he can't do it immediately, Satan will do it, if he can, eventually. He'll wear you down. And this is what Jesus says, those that are not robbed at the first hearing of the word... He says, now those that hear the word and receive it with joy, it it gets some root. But then Satan does his best to take it away and rob it so that the person becomes fruitless. Verse 16 describes the way he does it. And these in the manner are those that are sown upon the rocky ground, that when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root. And they endure for a while. And when trials or persecution comes on account of the word, immediately they fall away. I'm confident that Jesus is describing a, a method of, of, um, of the devil to rob the word from us because in the New Testament when persecution is me- mentioned, it's mentioned as a key strategy of the devil to rob the gospel. And uh, example, to the Thessalonian church, Paul writes when they're being persecuted, 
and he, he says it is the devil because he says, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent that I might know, that, uh, know your faith for fear that somehow the tempter, that is the evil one, Satan, had tempted you and that our labor was in vain. It's clear that Paul saw persecution and hard times and trials as those potential for the Satan to rob, the, destroy the work of the gospel in people's hearts and lives. And so because the devil doesn't rob everyone immediately from responding joyfully to the word, it doesn't mean that he gives up. And he will do all that he can to wear you down. That in the end, he eventually robs the word from you, and that in the end you think it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it to hang on to the word of God. And so he continues to batter you with hard times, continues to batter you with disappointments, continues to batter you with a sense of unworthiness or whatever it is, so the Word of God cannot take root in you and produce much fruit. I want to concur with what Helen said. I think many people in this church over the last three years have been battered economically. It's been tough, and you've been, you've been kind of trying to hang on to the Word of God, and God, the, the devil wants to continue in that state of battering in your heart so that eventually you're going to give up and just say, it's just not worth it. Don't let him do it. (laughs) Be aware of his schemes. And the third way, so immediately, eventually, through trials and battering, and thirdly, he does it eventually, and here is the third ground that Jesus says, he says prosperity. He says prosperity. If persecution and trials don't do it, Satan will look to rob you of God's word through prosperity. What do I mean? Well, verse 18 says it clearly. He says, these are the ones sown among thorns. When they hear the word, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things, enter in and choke the word. So you become fruitless. Ephesians says this. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says that when people go after the devil, they're not being dragged along against their will. They are just giving in to their ungodly desires. Go and read Ephesians chapter 2, the first five verses. Satan robs the word from us by making us feel that if we hold fast onto the word of God, we will be giving up on something that is better. Satan is the great deceiver. In the UK, in London, in the Western first world, I don't think the devil majors much on persecution, although I think persecution is coming for us in the Western world. But I believe he majors much more on prosperity. He says this to you, if you don't get too fanatical about the Word of God, if you don't get too religious If you don't get too kind of on fire for Jesus, somehow things will go better with you. (laughs) And so thousands of people make a start with Jesus. They get saved. There's something of the word goes in, but over a period of time, what wins in their lives at the end of the time is the, at the end of um, time is a promise of more money, a promise of a greater career, and a yearly enticement of a guaranteed holiday to the Caribbean or some other exotic place. That's what wins in the battle of their hearts. That's what wins at the end of the day. That is more important than the kingdom of God. 
That's how the devil has robbed us in the Western world. And why it's not strange to me that in places in the world that have persecution, hard times, economic hardship, and people are simply crying out to God, what happens? Revival. We're the biggest places in revival right now. South America, Africa, the Far East. Why? Because people are not distracted by the promise of things being so much better here on earth if you just give in. All right. I hope you are encouraged that you came this morning. So, summary of his three strategies. He acts immediately, makes us inattentive, he causes us to feel anger or ill will against the word, or simply to be so ignorant and blind that we cannot grasp what is being said. Secondly, he comes in after the word has been sowed and received, and he attacks it with hard times. And he convinces us that holding on to God's word is not worth the trouble. And thirdly, where the word has begun to take root, he strangles it out of us with a lie that too many good things are being sacrificed if you go hard after God. So don't go too hard after God because you'll lose too many good things. So what do we do? I believe we can cultivate a response. And I believe as a church we can be disciplined in cultivating a response so that God can do wonderful things in our lives. And I want to just try and give you three little ways to help combat the first way that the devil comes to rob, and that is immediately, all right? Because we don't have time to do the others this morning. But remember our study of James, James 4, verse 7. Remember, it said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's a promise from God for all of us that if we learn how to resist the evil one, he will flee. He cannot stand. Alright, so I'm encouraging you, resist the devil and he will flee. The same way 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be watchful, for the adver- your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. I want to encourage you to resist, to stand, and let the word of God take root in you. Alright? And so, let's have some time now looking at how we can combat these... Um, strategies of the devil, and I believe if we get this first one right, we will be able to fight the other two as well. If we get the word into our hearts, we will be able to resist when he discourages us in hard times, and we will not get duped by the promise of prosperity either if we let the word take root in us immediately. All right, so I want to encourage you with this. So simple. (laughs) Prepare the soil of your heart. Prepare the soil of your heart. This is the key. Can I give you some simple, practical things? This is not legalism. This is not me telling you what to do. This is just what we've tried to live in our lives and what we continue to... I had to say to Nick and Jen last night, we love being with them. We enjoy our evenings. They serve great food. We, we have laughed. We laughed like anything last night. It was just a glorious time. But at 10 o'clock, I had to say, guys, I've got to go because I'm preaching tomorrow. And I don't want to be tired. I don't want to be distracted. I want the word to go into people. It's, it's uh, my life. The boys know. So Saturday for us starts at 6 o'clock in the morning, a Sunday. And they are dragged into the shower. Say, Dad, do we have to go again so early today? Yes, my son. Yes, we do. We are ministering together. And this is why we do it. Prepare the soil of your heart. Can I ask you sometime, either on Saturday night or on Sunday morning, to prepare your heart 
Tune yourself in to hearing the Word of God. To being humble before Him. Purifying your heart in prayer. Tune the receiver, whatever images you want to do, use, so that on Sunday you will powerfully hear the Word of God and worship will be deep for you. Alright? Don't don't play into the hands of the devil by staying up so late regularly on a Saturday night that you can't even wake up on a Sunday morning. Or worse still, that you, you come halfway during the meeting and kind of stumble in and you're kind of like, oh, out of it. The word is already robbed. What happens at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night is not more important than what happens on 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. And actually, you being rested, you being fresh, you being open is far more important than that last drink that you want to have with your mates at midnight. Don't give in to the devil by the first thing that you read on a Sunday morning. It's the news. The first thing that you tune into on a Sunday morning is Facebook. The first thing that you do on a Sunday morning is reflect on what the world has to say about what God wants to say to you. Now, let the first thing you do on a Sunday morning, I'm not, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just saying, maybe it would be better for you to just get up a little bit early on a Sunday morning and to read one psalm and say, Jesus, what do you want to say to me this morning? How do you want to encourage me this morning? And leave the internet, leave Facebook, leave the news. That nothing's going to change in the four hours that you are here. You can read the news at lunchtime and be depressed then, all right? (laughs) And so I'm trying to encourage you. I believe there's some really good habits that we can cultivate together, all of us, every single one of us, as a church community. And one of the habits we can develop, we can cultivate together, is to conscientiously prepare our hearts to hear the Word of God, to worship with God's people, to pray, to prophesy with power on a Sunday when we get together and on a Wednesday when you meet in your life groups and when you have lunch with someone. I'm not saying it's only at the corporate times. I'm saying in your life, if you are rested and, you, and I am rested and we are hearing God's word, we will be ready to sow what we are receiving into the lives of other people. And I'm convinced that if we do this, we will see that prophetic picture that Helen had of that myriad rainbow thing over us with many things happening simultaneously all at the same time. Speaking of God's glory and power, we will see that happen in our midst this year if we give ourselves to diligently, conscientiously doing these things. So resolve somewhere in your week. I'm not putting this on you. I've got into the habit recently of walking a lot. And I've felt God say to this, this to me that I need to meditate more on what I preach So I'm trying to meditate. I'm trying to chew it over. I go for walks three or four times a week. I pray. I say, God, use what you want to say through me on Sunday. Help me to communicate well. And I try over and over and over, meditate on the message that God has for this church. And I trust whoever preaches goes through a similar process. So I'm saying for your own life, quiet walks, solitude, prepare the soil of your heart. Let the, the heart be plowed deeply so it can be fruitful. Secondly, and I'm nearly finished. I am nearly finished. <laughs> Listen with all your might. Uh, I wish it was more profound, but it's so simple. Listen with all your might. 
Remember, the Word of God is not just through the preaching. The Word of God is in the songs that we sing. The Word of God is in the prophecy that comes. The Word of God is in prayer. The Word of God is when you, in you when you minister to people as we break bread together. Focus with all your might to hear what God has for you. They are, what I'm asking you to develop is that inner muscle, that inner determination to work at listening and hearing and fighting against distraction. So the birds of the air will not rob you. The fruitfulness will come. Focus on the content of the worship songs. He's the great conductor, the Holy Spirit. He weaves a perfect symphony every week if we will hear. Are you listening? For what he's, did he say anything to you this morning? I hope he did. He said a lot to me, and I hope he did to you as well. I'm sure he did. What did he say? What are you going to take away? What are you going to meditate on for yourself? Focus on any prophetic encouragement that comes. When there's a quiet, non-directed moment in the, in the meeting, when we are simply still before him, or when we're breaking bread together, what is he saying to you? What is he, what is he laying on your heart? What does he want you to take and encourage someone else with? Don't coast. <laughs> Go hard. Go flat out for God. Go, don't coast in worship. No polite golf claps, Tim. Isn't that right? Oh, God, you're so good. Thank you. You've blessed me once again. Thank you. You've restored my marriage. No, raucous praise. Heart of, and don't tell me that English people can't be loud. I have been to football games and I've heard, I've heard people cheer. I've sat next to Mario watching Arsenal. He shouts like mad when they score a goal. Don't tell me we can't be loud. Oh, we're too English for that. It's nonsense. Let's celebrate with all of our hearts when Jesus is doing a good thing. Let he hear his ears, let him hear. And then lastly, Chrissy said to me last week, your message next week just needs to be two words. Receive the word. And she's right, in a sense. As you hear the word, receive it joyfully. <laughs> Receive it joyfully. Welcome it. Verse 20, those that were sown upon the good soil, there's a fourth soil, really, the good soil, are the ones that hear the word, accept it, receive it, welcome it, and they bear fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. So, I want to encourage you every time you are in a place to receive something, that you set your mind to be open to the word of God, even if it's new, even if it's demanding. And that doesn't mean that you listen uncritically. I'm not advocating mindless acquiescence to what the preacher says, and we don't think, we just say, yes, 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 yes. I'm not saying that at all. That's not what I'm saying. But my encouragement is this. When the Word of God comes simply and it's plain to you, welcome it. Say, yes, Lord, I receive that. There's a receptive attitude. There's not a resistant one. Love the Word of God. Be like a miner. The, the Bible uses all these kind of, uh, the kingdom of God is like someone who went to a, a field and there was a pearl of great price and he sold all that he had to get that pearl. Uh, love it like a miner. Love silver and gold. Love the Word like that. Precious. We all have uh, favorite places that we like to go in the world. And one of the places I love in, in the summer is France. I'm sorry, if that offends anyone, but 
I love driving through the French countryside, mile after mile of amazing farmland, vegetables, fruits, vines, lavender, vineyards, olive trees, just beautiful, fantastic, rich, rich plowed soil. And it bears fruit year after year after year after year. And so I want to encourage you, as I encourage myself, let that be the same for our hearts. Let our hearts be well plowed, prepared, softened by the rain of the Holy Spirit, not resistant, open, soft, so we can receive what is power-packed seed. I believe there's power in the Word of God to transform your life radically if you will receive it, and it will produce fruit in you, row after row, year after year. It's a beautiful picture for our lives. If you will let it take root in you. In you. And I believe this church will overflow with fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. As the, the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, destroys the work of the evil one and makes us fruitful by the power of His Word. That's the great triumph of this parable. That's the great joy of this parable. Although the part of the seed is lost and it never gets sown and it is robbed, at the end of the day, there is a great harvest. There is a great harvest, and let that encourage you and bring any end to despair that you might feel. Sometimes I know I feel my effort is little, it achieves little result. And sometimes we feel like we're wasting our time, but if the end, in the end, if we are patient, good farmers, and we do the right work, we sow the seed, and we at the same time let the word take root in our hearts, and we prepare ourselves, and we are soft, we leave the rest to God, and He will produce the harvest in our lives. Amen.